Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast. This is episode 165, brought to you by iHunter. Um, we're going to talk about iHunter here right away, quick in the intro. Um, until we do, I want to introduce the co-host, Tristan. What's going on there, young fella? Oh, happy to be here. It's been a pretty good fall so far, so snuck away on a on a Monday chicken hunt, or I guess after talking to the old Nord there, um. A upland grouse hunt. Nice. Um, didn't get anything, but uh, Carly got to watch Willie work for the first time, and uh, that was that was exciting. That was fun in and of itself. Quick question: You don't have to elaborate too much, but like, what do you generally do with your upland meat? Like, are you eating it right away, or do you freeze some? Or I try to eat it right away. Normally, like, there's like the amount of meat I get from a chicken hunt is not like. It's not hidden in the freezer typically. So I don't know if you would have saw last time though, I launched a recipe there on the the old panoramic journal about uh, a rough grouse risotto. So that was my first time making any kind of serious risotto. And it turned out, I would say pretty damn good. Um, Completely like hijacked a recipe to be transparent there. And I didn't lie about that, but like I did, I did have my own flair to it. So I think it, uh, it's worth a look if you, if you're wanting to try something new with the, in the kind of like upland game recipe land. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's cool. My uh, my old man always tries to go out. Like if he goes out in the morning or whatever, we'll have like eggs and chicken or whatever, like roughy, whatever he gets, like Hungarian partridge, whatever it is, right? Um, hey, did, yeah, you, I, did you see that I made your well, – finish your thought. You finish your thing there. No, I was just going to say like usually it's with eggs and eggs and whatever, like say with the breakfast and it's just like, I don't know, it's like a staple. Yeah, my childhood you don't have it often but when you do it's just like you really appreciate it oh yeah and then you saw that i made your uh your old ukrainian scrambler there hey i was actually felt proud there for about 14 seconds that was pretty cool yeah (laughs) turned out fantastic (laughs) throw it in the pan i replaced the bacon though with like uh some of the garlic deer sausage we had around around home so yeah remember back in the day we used to do uh what's on the turntable blah 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 like what's on the grill oh, yeah, yeah 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 that's pretty funny um but before we get going into this intro we just want to say that uh or i just want to mention that we do have a great guest it's uh brett kissel you might probably heard him on the radio maybe seen him on tv he's got hundreds of awards of a canadian country music artist and writer so uh very cool and in-depth talk about um you know what what the outdoors means to him and, and tradition and everything else even talk a little bit about garth brooks and the edmonton oilers maybe a little bit so stay tuned for that um tristan it is becoming clear that whitetail season rifle season in manitoba is right around the corner you're leaving to camp um this weekend i'm leaving on friday you're leaving on sunday um you did you head over to harvester and get any supplies or what are you, you know, uh, the are last you thing the last thing i got from harvester was i got because so many places I've heard too are out of like upland shot. 
Okay. Or, or any a lot of different kind of shot. And I saw that Sean had some sales on some of the stuff there. So I headed down there. They had like this special Italian like 12 gauge round. And they, they gave me a burning deal on it. And he's like, yeah, any other person that's, you know, coming here, I'll honor the same deal. So like it was like I got the the upland round there for like an affordable price. I think I kind of remember what it was off the top of my head. It was like $12.99 a box or something like that. Nice. Yeah. And so I was able to like get a few rounds and uh, head out. I didn't have to use them on Monday, clearly, but uh, <laughs> but I was there stocking up and and stuff like that. So it was yeah, it was good to catch up too and just like shoot the shit about like commercial season coming up and and stuff like that. I saw that Sean, like I mean, if people were interested in getting into the commercial game, Sean was like offering like even like like small net commercial net packages too right kind of like starter packs which was interesting so there's all kinds of stuff there yeah um and if anybody's new listener to the panoramic outdoors podcast um harvester outdoors is a huge supporter of us so we always like to send them a quick shout out in our intro if you are looking to get into some fishing gear even hunting gear like tristan said commercial fishing gear and they even have storage uh indoor archery range i believe as well too um, they got a bunch of stuff. Just to head over there. It's on Mercy Street in Selkirk. Uh, tell them we sent you. Um, Tristan, the other thing I was going to mention was that, like, so long story short, I guess, is that I'm heading heading to deer camp. I group texted you guys um, about meals or whatever. Is there, oh, like, right. that, was there, is there that, like, one meal you guys make at deer camp? Is there something that, you you know, you kind of look forward to at deer camp? Oh, I didn't. It doesn't respond. have to necessarily be at the meal, but like just food in general, maybe. I didn't respond to that. I forget. I forgot to get back to you on that. Or did I say something? Uh, someone said spare ribs. You said gumbo. If you, if I can find a Asian oh, yeah. market or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were looking for something special, but like I mean, things that I always look forward to at camp when I'm up there. Okay, a few things. One time, a like I feel like you need to be adaptive when you're you're cooking camp meals you can't just like you're not gonna have everything up there you need and so one time we had brought up some coleslaw for for uh just a side and then all that froze in our coolers it was like one of those years where everything will freeze so like we're not gonna eat frozen coleslaw so i made a cabbage soup out of that (laughs) coleslaw and damn was that good coming in after the cold um the cold like existence outdoors and that cabbage soup recipe has stuck with me for my culinary career since i made this on like the old wood stove with an aluminum pot all burned out but like man did yeah that stuck with me for a long time something new that i'm gonna try this year is i i got a bit of an elk strap sticking around still so i'm gonna do um an elk tataki up in camp that's gonna be a little fancier what, what's tataki i mean tataki is like uh it's it's kind of like that that raw elk meat or that raw meat kind of version that you can eat but like you sear it you put in a marinade like a japanese marinade and you, you sear it um all all the way around and i i like to do that just because it gives me peace of mind because often when you're cooking 
the parts that get exposed to the bacteria or like the external part of the meat. That's why you, you can sear a steak and eat it basically raw on the inside and be okay. Cause that, that right. interiors. So that, that just gives me peace of mind. And then you just shave it really thin. Okay. And so, it, yeah, it's like, and then uh, eat it with crackers or something or what? No, that's what Josh, Josh does. What is it like? He does pork, like a tartar tartar with pork, pork rind or something like that. So right. no, no, you would just like slurp this. I sometimes serve it with like a, a bread if you, if you okay. really wanted to have something on the side, but yeah, most of the times it's just like a, it's like a, it's like a steak sushi in some ways. Oh yeah. That's a t- there's a few things. I haven't been to too many camps with you, but the ones that I have gone to camps, elk camp, deer camp, whatever it may be. The two things that I will say about Tristan moose camp, another um, is number one is that your snacks are usually just like not chips like you're cutting up cheese crackers like i have like a high i'm like yes like just coming to camp there's gonna be good snacks and then you always make soups like even yeah. at elk camp you shot a chicken or whatever and you had you made a soup with it and it was just like the perfect touch so just like you said coming back from sitting in a stand and being cold or doing whatever you're doing that was it was perfect touch so that's why i always have to pick your brain about food when it comes to camps because i appreciate it Man, I I I love camp food. Camp food is the best food that you'll ever eat. I I like I I don't want to be shy in, in saying that. Like, there's, yeah, there's no part of the that might be the the whole reason I go to camp is just for the food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and no and the whiskey. Let's be transparent. But like, are yeah. you gonna try to pick up some some of Brett Kissel's whiskey? If you, I guess it's only in Alberta, he said. Yeah, yeah, it's only in Alberta. There, if he uh, if he ever gives us his phone number, there we'll we'll get a hold of him. Yeah, what a dirty trick! I, I'm just gonna tell the story. So at the end of the podcast, we're done recording. He's like, "Yeah," he's like, "I'll get you guys a number and I'll text you right away." I'm like right on. And Tristan just starts saying like one two oh four, and then he like clicks and hangs up on us. So we don't know if it was a dirty trick or his phone died, but. Either way, we thought we were important getting uh, exchanging numbers. <laughs> um, your Badlands gear, are you taking that up to camp or is that too? Oh, yeah. Oh, you are, yeah. Yeah. Um, even if, like, I might not wear it in the stand because it's, we'll see how, how cold it gets in camp. I might, like, have to layer it. But, like, it's for, like, a, a rain-breaking jacket and rain-breaking pant. It's, like, it is very warm. And like to me, it it stands up to the Badlands name in so many ways. Like I've been rocking a Badlands bag for so long, and I'm just can't believe how tough it is, and functional. And like these, the 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 rain suit there is in the same vein. It's there's there's this absolutely rugged is the way I would describe it. Yeah, my Badlands gear. I've I'm in the same kind of boat as you. I have always thought of them as being like bino harness backpack type stuff because that's the only Badlands gear I had until this year, and I was. N- like I was always impressed with their stuff, and then when I got into their, I'm wearing the Caller um, suit. The only one thing I will say, and I'll be very blunt about it, is that like if you're, you know, a beer drinking dude with a little bit of a gut, their stuff does fit differently. It's fit, like it's a great fit for Tristan, let's say, maybe not for myself. I'm lugging around a barrel, but um, like I'm wearing like their pants and that stuff. I'm unbelievable. It's like kind of like. It's not really waterproof, but it's like weatherproof. I was wearing it when it's been raining and shitty here in Manitoba the last little while, and I've been wearing it every night and not getting wet and staying warm is just key. And I mean, like, I, I hate doing uh, free plugs for anybody, but I've been also 
wearing the wool love religiously out in the stand and just being super warm in it too. So um, for anybody that wants to put in those long sits, make sure you get some merino wool of some sort and get some Badlands. I've, I have nothing but good things to say about them. Um, but other than their fit, yeah, you're the beer drinking people out there with the big guts. You might want to uh, double check the sizes or make sure you try it on. But quick, quick sidebar on the wool love is uh, I I ripped my first pair rushing into my long johns that I've been wearing for like probably five years with them or whatever oh, it really? is. Yeah, nice. so it, it might be time to retire the first pair that I've I've ever owned there. Yeah, huh? That's crazy. I've got. Um... I got two pairs, and one of them are getting pretty, pretty skimpy, but my other <laughs> ones are good. So, <laughs> should we do a wool love calendar? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But, um, what else do we got to talk about in this intro? What are we missing? It feels like we're missing something. Oh, well, I mean, I feel like we should talk. I, I just want to like plug Brett one more time before we, we hop right into it. Just like, sure. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect hopping into this one. Um, but like I was, I don't know if we're just exceptionally skilled interviewers, Sheldon or what, but I feel like old Brett there gave us a little peek behind the curtain on a few of the, uh, the music industry, like tips there and, and hotspots. So like, I was just like blown away that just like, not just how down to earth, but how open Brett was like almost, almost like open book about some of that stuff. Right. Oh yeah. It was unbelievable. It's super humble guy um we're just hard on the sleeve type fella and yeah it was it was an awesome interview talking about november deer season also another thing i want to mention before we get into this podcast is november um panoramic outdoors is doing the mustache for november so if you're looking at making a donation you can go and make a donation through us if you want to join our team i believe you can join our team in, at the november website as well um, and the other thing too i want to mention is that in our store um, every sale, every item that we sell, we're going to take $2 from that item and donate it to the Movember uh, fundraising. So, you know, there's a, been a cancer is a shitty thing. Like, fuck cancer. I'll say it straight up. And uh, you should do whatever you can to, to help out, I guess. I don't know. It's such a it's such a weird subject for me because I've had so many family members, members and friends that have I've been affected by it and myself. Like, I haven't been, but I try to do what I can. Um, so when the idea came up with, uh, the panoramic group, it was a green light. And so if you can do anything for us to make the donation, that's great. And if not share this episode, cause we're going to mention it and hopefully someone follows along. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard reality. Like I've got a few more folks in my life this year, unfortunately, that have been touched by it and it's going to probably be painful in the, the next near future here. Um, Yeah. It's just one of those things we got to like keep moving forward on. So I think anyone who's like either donated or puts the time in or works to, to find a solution to, to all this. Cause it's, there's, it's a lot of pain with it all. So yeah, I hope, I hope we find a way a little bit way better forward. Yeah, for sure. And not, and not to put like gloom onto this episode, but I just wanted to make, make that little uh, announcement. So Hopefully, follow us along with our mustache growing contest. And have a little bit of fun with it and raise some money for for a cause that affects a lot of lives. So, um, before we run into this episode, Tristan, I just want to say good luck to you and Chase at Deer Camp. I don't know if uh, well, well, I guess we'll talk in the outro, but I just want to make sure I say good luck before I forget. And um, 
Make sure you keep Chase out of that whiskey so he makes it to the hunting stand in the morning, eh? Chase has been dangerous out at camps lately. I don't know when the last time <laughs> you've been at the camp with him, but he uh, he lets his hair down pretty quickly as soon as the boots come off. Let's just put it that way. That's perfect. That's the that's kind of the point of it too, right? It's your little holiday away from things and have a little me time. So, yeah. Uh, I can tell you there's nothing like rolling back home after a camp and feeling like you need a vacation for another four days to recharge. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Anyways, we're going to thank Brett for coming on and uh, let's uh, let's listen up here because uh, I think this is one of the funner ones we've done in a long time. Hey, Sheldon? You got it. Yeah, let's do it. Well, we got a wicked guest here tonight, today, whenever you're listening to, to the podcast. Uh, you probably might have heard him on the radio, might have seen him on TV, maybe doing some hunting, maybe some singing. Welcome to the podcast, Brett Kissel. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's uh, it's uh, not every day I get a chance to talk about my other passion, which is hunting and fishing. So thank you very much for having me on uh, on the podcast. It means a lot. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because, well, not kind of funny, but my dad was the one, like, I mean, I've been a fan of Brett Kissel and his music, your music, right? But but dad's like, oh, yeah, he's got this TV show, and I watch it, and he seems like a down-to-earth guy. He's trying to get him on the podcast. So it's been a goal of ours for the last, I don't know, year and a bit to to get in contact with you, and we finally did. So super happy to have you on. Well, thanks, um, man. And tell, tell me about uh, tell me about uh, your, your dad. What's his name? His name's Orv, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's retired now. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah, so he's uh, he spends a lot of time watching like Wild TV and Sportsman Channel and all that stuff. So he was uh, he was the recommendation for you for sure. Okay, well, this is a part that uh, cannot be edited out. It has to live here forever. <laughs> but Orv uh, and you know whoever Orv uh, your 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 pops wants to bring, I'm going to be doing a show uh, in February at uh, Club Region Event Center in Winnipeg. I'm not playing no uh, in Brandon, but I'll be playing. Uh, yeah, I'll be playing there. So if you want to come uh, make the trip into Winnipeg, or if I'd, I'd love to meet you and I got to buy you a beer for lining up this podcast. Okay. Oh, so you, make sure, make sure you save this. And that goes for you too, Tristan. And of course you too, Shelly. Like uh, I just want to have all the good outdoors people uh, come out to the shows. So if anybody wants oh, to come yeah. to that show that we announced in Winnipeg, we'd love to have you. Tristan, you're, you're welcome too. Awesome. Right on. So um, to get this podcast started, how we do every all of our podcasts we do a five burning question segment and basically you can answer that short form long form i think our record's about 45 minutes but we don't want to take all the time doing the five burning questions so hopefully it's short oh, yeah. and sweet um but i'll start off i'll ask three and then tristan will ask the last two but my question i ask all my all of our guests is that uh if you had one last meal on this earth with a drink uh what would you have uh it would be a mix um between uh you know alberta beef or ribeye um my wife's mashed potatoes uh, you know, a good grilled vegetable, probably uh, asparagus, sawmill, steak sauce, uh, probably some shrimp or scallops or something like that. So just a big, beautiful Alberta steak uh, dinner, uh, Caesar salad, but homemade, like the way that, that I love cooking on the grill. So it's got to be, it's got to be that, or maybe my uncle Derek, the way he cooks a steak, um, or it'd be, uh, my wife's Christmas, Christmas supper, you know, oh, yeah. uh, chicken and turkey, mashed potatoes, pierogies, nolesniki, um, stuffing her gravy um yeah you know uh, that that type of big ukrainian beautiful christmas it would probably be the christmas dinner and then a drink um yeah rye rye and ginger 
Yep, that's exactly what it would be. Probably a rye ginger press and my whiskey, backcountry whiskey. We just launched it uh, here in Alberta, so I, I love it. It's uh, it's re it's really good stuff for the price point. Holy shit, it's good. Yeah, well, we got the right co-host because Tristan's a whiskey connoisseur, I guess, in a way of our group. So he'll probably have some questions coming down the pipe about that. Um, my second yeah. question for you: Where do you get your inspiration from right now? Uh, inspiration comes in so many different different ways. Um, for me, in this particular season, it's not just because I'm on this podcast, but I'm so inspired by, we'll call it the great outdoors, you know, as I hold right. up my hands and I try to make it this extravagant thing. But you know what? I've spent so much time on a bus and so much time traveling that I love the stillness and being, you know, being in, in the woods. That is so amazing. If I'm, if I'm out there, you know, chasing after a deer or also if I'm with, you know, even a few buddies and we're sitting in a, in a in a duck blind and we're waiting to shoot ducks and geese. That is amazing. And it's sometimes in those moments where I think of really great song ideas or because things are just so still, I can think of not the to-do list, but I can create this new list of goals and things I want to accomplish or things that I'd love to achieve. So because of that, my inspiration in a big way is, is kind of coming from the silence and coming from the stillness. And where do I get that in my life? It's not sitting, it's not sitting in a hot tub on the deck. It's walking through the bush, um, you know, or riding on a quad, you know, going on a trail ride. That's that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. My third question for you, and it's because your latest album, you got that song, Dear Blind, that you wrote with Mike Fisher, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, I want you to describe me your perfect Dear Blind. Set the picture. You seem like the, the storyteller. You can probably give me a good blurb of the perfect Dear Blind. Oh, absolutely. Well, regardless of the brand name, whether it's new or it's old, it's just got a great, you know, we're just hidden so well. We're on a bit of a hill. It's maybe, you know, an 80 to 90 yard shot, um, you know, because I'm, I'm not a bow hunter. I, I know I will become a bow hunter um, later on in, in my life. I haven't taken the time to do that. But, uh, you know, we're we're just in an area that's just part of a highway for deer, for big deer. Um, it's, it's a heated blind. Cause I'm always cold. It's got the Cadillac <laughs> of propane heaters. It's got a little card table in the middle so that I can play crib, uh, you know, with either my guide or my cameraman or one of my best buddies. And, um, yeah. And, uh, it's, it's just far enough away that you can feel that you're in the middle of the wilderness, but also at the same time, it's close enough back to the lodge, uh, no cell service. I don't want no cell service there. Nothing right. at all. And, um, but you know, just close enough that you don't have to have a three hour ATV ride back to the lodge. And, um, you know, it just, when you're starting to lose hope, a big, big buck walks in and makes the mistake of walking in front of your scope. That, that is the perfect deer blind. And nice. I've been very lucky at buck paradise up in paradise, Hill, Saskatchewan, three years in a row, you know, just got a buck of a lifetime, you know, and then the second year was bigger than the first and the, this third year is the one behind me is bigger than the last. And I just, it's, if I die, I'm going to get cremated and some of my ashes, I told my wife are going to be sprinkled in a deer blind at buck paradise. That's cool. That's really cool. <clears throat> Tristan, you're up, buddy. No, I was just wondering if you've ever shot a, you mentioned hot tub before. I was wondering if you ever shot a deer from a hot tub before. <laughs> no, no, I didn't, but I did shoot a deer from my, uh, from my front entrance, the very first buck I got on our, you know, when I was 16 years old, it was my Mima or at her house. And she said, there's a deer and he's eating my flowers. You, you go shoot him right now. So 
you know, in her old Ukrainian accent. So I went, I got my grandpa's 243 and I just bought my whitetail tag that, that uh, day coming home from school. Um, and it was, it's just a little four point four by four buck right there. And I stood on the front steps and I shot him and he, and he landed and he still broke Mimo's rose bushes because he just, I just <laughs> dropped him right there. And now, so it's just me and my Mima, my grandpa's not there. My uncle's not there. So I'm like, well, now what? I never, I had seen my uncle skin many, many deer, but I never done it myself. So it was quite, quite the hack job. I got one of my buddies come, come back. So have I ever shot one from a hot tub? No, but I did shoot one from Mima and Grandpa Bear's front steps. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. that, that was the first one? The first buck I ever shot. If I wasn't going to shoot him, Mima, she's going to, she's going to club him with her broom. <laughs> Is that on the wall there? Did you show us that earlier? The Or was that a different no, mount? No, that, that. Uh, yeah, no, this this mount that's on the wall, that's uh that was that nice big old warrior Saskatchewan buck. Uh yeah, just a stunning, stunning buck, big chocolate horns there. Um, and then I got two others that are just in the hallway, um, that are also, you know, beautiful old uh old Saskatchewan white tails. Okay. Yeah, it's funny how the even in you know, in, in our time too, like the standards of hunting have shifted um around like what the expectations were. Growing up, we were meat hunters too. And it was just like, it was, you got it done. And uh, if that meant that the, the buck was in the garden and causing trouble, then you just, you did it. And now it's, uh, I noticed the trend towards uh, make sure you're in a tree stand and have your harness on and that you're shooting the uh, the heavy arrows. But it's all good. I love to see both sides, folks uh, showing, showing up and uh, doing the diehard stuff. And then folks who are just out there to, uh, put put a little meat on the table too. So, yeah, both. very very much so. I and I, you know, especially around home, like we've got some some big deer there, but I'm at a point in my life and especially my career in country music and being a dad to four incredible little kids that you know I I don't have 30 days to hunt. I I really don't. I love the opportunity to go to a you know a, a guide and outfitter and sit sit there and and, and get a really good deer in that way. But all the Alberta deer that I've ever shot have truly been been for meat, whether it be a doe tag or a, or a buck tag, you know, for our general whitetail. Um, I'm just out there. I've got two days. I usually have my kids with me or I'm riding around on a side by side with my grandpa bear. And we see a buck and, you know, you know, lean up against the tree and pull the trigger. And, you know, before you know it, he's at uh, my buddy, Mark. He's the local Hutterite uh, up in Glendon at Pine Meadows. And I call Mark and. I give him a 24 pack of bush light and, uh, <laughs> and sign a couple CDs. And before you know it, he's, uh, he's got, got that deer into pepperoni and jerky within a couple days. Like that's, nice. that's kind of the, the tradition, which I really love too. You know, both, both sides of it, the diehard stuff is so incredible. It really is. But then there are a bunch of local hunters that are just out there to put meat on the table. And, um, and God, do my kids ever love, love deer, uh, deer meat. And I'm really proud of that too. So mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh it's it's a good way of life out here. That bush lights currency out there too, is that how that works? Yeah, bush light, coors light, bud light, uh PBR, whatever. Whatever you can get at the Glendon liquor store that's on sale. If you can get a you know a twofer <laughs> or, or whatever, uh that's and that's that's also the currency that or now I'm in the vodka and the whiskey game too. So, you know, if you talk to the to the uh, the farmer and you want you know permission on his land you everybody knows you show up with a bottle and one is one that you're gonna have a few drinks have a little visit and get to know each other or tell some stories with the old man and 
then, you know, the wife usually cooks a pierogi supper. And before you know it, you stay there. and Someone's got to pick you up because you had too much to drink, you know, and all you did was I told my wife, Hey, I'm just going to be a half an hour. I'm just going to go ask the neighbor down the road for permission. Turns out to be a supper. It's, it's the country way. And I, and I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. That's awesome. Um, and then my, my last question to turn back to music there before we wrap up the five burners is to like, I'm sure you've had, you've, well, I looked at your resume there. You've had a ton of shows in your life there, breadth, but there's a, was there one that kind of maybe surprised you along the way or kind of sticks out in your, your head as one that, uh, you, you know, you might not have thought was going to be the biggest show, but has always stuck with you. Well, if it's one that was, that was a little bit unexpected, you know, there, there've been, there've been several and it, it, it happens on a, on a regular basis with me and, and my career where we can go into a scenario that's usually a corporate setting where, you know, we're just going to do the whatever anniversary or the annual event for Canadian tire. And I'm excited to do something like that for a company like that. And it really is just entertainment. They might've had, you know, Paul Brandt the year before, and they might've had bare naked ladies or Sarah McLaughlin the year before that. So I know I'm just there to entertain and play for an hour, but sometimes those turn into a party and that's just amazing getting a chance to play those, you know, um, or some of the other unexpected ones. I, I played the Grand Ole Opry recently um, and I've played there several times. And when I played the Opry this last time, um, we got a standing ovation. I did a cover. I did a medley for Johnny Cash um, and, you know, talked about my love of the man in black. And when the medley was all over, you know, you get 3,300 people at the Grand Ole Opry house that just stand up. And that was unexpected. You only get two songs at the Opry. It doesn't matter if you're Garth Brooks or, or a newcomer, you only get two songs. That's it. So to get that type of reaction was unexpected and, and, and really, really special. That opera would be a hell of a house to play at, I imagine. Did you get chills just walking on the stage there? Or how's that work? Every single time. Because <laughs> it's understanding the legacy that is the Opry. It's understanding that you're stepping into a sacred circle. And that circle that you stand in, Patsy Cline stood there. Elvis stood there. Johnny Cash used that same microphone. Charlie Pride, George Jones, Garth Brooks, George Strait, Reba McIntyre, Carrie Underwood. They've all been there. You know, and some of the biggest moments, people have laughed there, people have cried there, people have debuted, you know, life-changing songs like He Stopped Loving Her Today or Friends in Low Places or, you know, Brad Paisley played, you know, Whiskey Lullaby there with Alison Krauss for the very first time in that sacred circle. So for me to get a chance to stand in there and be a part of history in that way is amazing. If you're talking about goosebump moments and moments that are unexpected, those are those those moments because you you predict that it's going to be amazing you even believe that there's a chance things could be epic but what's mm -hmm. a better and more descriptive word than epic i don't know i don't have a good enough vocabulary but whatever's better than epic is you know something i've been very very lucky to to feel you know on uh, on, on several occasions and several several different scenarios I don't want to dwell here because I know we've got a lot to talk about, but I'm just like absolutely fascinated about like the, the history and the context of the Opry, like, and the, particularly what that would mean for someone like a, even like a Canadian coming down and cause obviously like that's a deep American history there, the, the Opry, like, what does that mean though, to be like, as a Canadian invited into that space and asked to perform uh, in that venue? 
it's it's unbelievable. I think there's maybe only been 16 or 17 Canadians who have ever played on the Grand Ole Opry. There's only ever been two members of the Grand Ole Opry, Terry Clark and the late, great Hank Snow, who's from Liverpool, Nova Scotia. So those are the only members of the Opry. So as a Canadian, to step into that sacred circle is unbelievable. Um, I remember when I played for the first time, it was August, uh, August 29th of 2015. Um, it was so special that we put it out to my fans on Facebook at the time. Instagram was just new. And uh, on Facebook, we said, hey, we're going to do a trip to Nashville. You know, comment below if you want to come down. Well, we ended up booking two planes, two planes, because we had wow. 380 people come down from Alberta and we bought 380 tickets for the Opry so that when old John Conley, when he introduced me, says, we got anybody here from Canada? And <laughs> 400 people cheered, you know? And uh, says, we got this young guy who's going to step into the circle for the very first time, you know? And he introduced me in this beautiful way. And um, like th that anticipation and that excitement was uh, was really extraordinary. And to fly the flag for Canadian country music down there was huge. Yeah, it's amazing. Do they send you like a golden guitar in the the mail to invite you down, or what's that look like? Does there some sort of secret handshake or? No, the can you the, tell the, us? The, <laughs> I I I mean, it's it hasn't happened to me because being a member is different than just playing the show. You have to play the show probably fifty times to hundred times. You have to really be a regular before they say, "Hey, you're you are so good. We we're going to ask you to be a member." of the Grand Ole Opry, this exclusive club um, that's voted on by all of the current Opry members. So that means Garth Brooks is, is voting yes or no. Reba is voting yes or no. Carrie Underwood is voting yes or no. My name is not in that circle at this particular chapter in my career. That being said, you know, being invited to perform on the Opry is not a golden guitar or anything like that. It's, it's business. It's, you know, the, the head, you know, manager, general manager of the Opry, talking to my manager or my agent, but it's a beautiful thing. When you, when you're there, they make you feel so special that they, if it's your first time, you have a specific dressing room for first timers and you can't go in that dressing room unless it's your first time. It, it doesn't matter if it sits empty for three months. That is only for first timers. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's really, really cool how they set it up and they, they make it sacred. That's incredible. I feel like there's not many spaces left in, in our society that, that have that kind of like honor or veneration or whatever you want to call it that goes around that, that craft, that art, or even the welcoming people in to like help preserve that tradition. So to get a little peek behind the scenes was very exciting yeah. for me. Well, on, on the music side, you're right. There aren't very many. Um, there's a lot of tradition in sports and there's a lot of tradition in golf. Like if you, get a chance to attend the masters or if you get a chance to play the masters in augusta like that is that is sacred ground you know that is important property that you're walking on and you're you're stepping into a really really elite circle um so i think the opry is is one of the few if not only places that really doubles down on the legacy excuse me the legacy piece the authenticity how genuine it is, how important it is to the genre. There's incredible venues like the Troubadour in LA or Carnegie Hall in New York City. Those are great spots, but the history and the tradition that is the Opry is unmatched anywhere on the planet. I'm convinced of it. That's great. Yeah. 
That is incredible. Um, now that we're kind of done the five burning questions, that was awesome. It's really. How, really how, how did I do? They, they they weren't as rapid fire as I I was thinking they were going to be. So sorry uh -huh. if. Uh, no, they're. I, I mean, perfect. at least it wasn't forty five minutes, but I hope it was okay. No, it's great. The well, we'll put, probably put you down top ten, maybe. And we'll have to review a few other ones. You know, the other thing I was going to mention to you, and I know you know about it. Uh, some of our listeners might not, but another moment like that I think when of, of yourself that was, I wouldn't say special to me, but probably special to you is when, you know, uh, it was an Oilers game quite a few years ago, and the music stopped, and the crowd sang the anthems for you. Like, what was that feeling like? I mean, talking about traditions and stuff, you're in the Oilers rink, and everyone's singing. Like, what did that feel like? Well, very special. And, you know, it, now it's, you know, several years ago, so I can really reflect on that. But in a moment like that, you know, in, in, a, in a millisecond, you go from sheer panic because you're hitting the ditch, the microphone's not working. And, you know, there's some, a little controversy because a lot of people thought it was a big show of it, but the mic was not on in the arena. And you've got 19,000 people that'll vouch for that. The, it was on because the antenna was working for the truck, so you could hear it on Sportsnet, but you couldn't hear it in the arena, and the all of the sound system had gone black. So you have one of two choices. Either pack up and go away and try to figure it out, or I just lifted up my fingers like a conductor, and everybody <laughs> knows the song, Yeah. so <laughs> let's, let's do this together. And Oil Country, everybody there, and it was a playoff game against the Anaheim Ducks, which made it even more special because it was the American anthem. So the fact that 19,000 people in Edmonton sang the Star Spangled Banner, I guarantee you 19,000 people in Anaheim couldn't have sung O Canada if that had happened. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that was a cool moment. If you're listening to this episode, we know you love local, and so do we. That's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op. Co-op is in over 600 communities across Western Canada with over 2 million members. Co-ops are a member-driven organization that serve the local community. You can check out co-ops for all your food, fuel, home and construction, as well as agricultural needs. A membership costs you $10 to get in, and you're going to see that back in equity. You don't need a membership to shop at co-op but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly your say and how that company runs. For groceries, if you want to shop online, you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets. There's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across Western Canada and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plant, large or small and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada, voted the cleanest bathrooms. They have full service at most locations and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way in not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products, including crop inputs and feed that co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, 
bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. But uh, yeah, we want to kind of maybe rewind it back a little bit. And I mean, I think there's probably quite a few different podcasts and literature and stuff to find out how how you started your music career. But, you know, we're an outdoors podcast and, and what we do know, and like you've already stated, that outdoors is um, very important to you. And so maybe I want to rewind it back to like where that all started for you. Like how did the outdoors start for you? Was it, was it, you know, from that first year in your, on the porch or what, where, where did it all start for you? It was, it was definitely a lot, a lot sooner than, you know, than that point, uh, you know, cause it was me as a little kid. Um, it's 1993. I'm three years old and my parents have moved from town to uh, an acreage, you know, four or five acres that is just, you know, a half a kilometer north of my grandparents and where my where my grandparents live is flat lake alberta that's the family farm they've been on that we've been on that piece of land for over 100 years and so being on that acreage and then a a few years later we just moved to the farm to live with my grandparents that relationship was key that was everything to me on the career side um you know in my personal life and then for my love of the outdoors my grandpa, although he wasn't this avid hunter and outdoorsman, um, he was one with the land. Like we we were on, we would go on so many walks and we would go on, on quad rides and nature rides daily where he knew every fence post. He knew every stretch of wire. We had, you know, 1,500, maybe 2,000 acres of pasture and bush that with beautiful trails. And we would look at these trees. And this is very interesting how, you know, in this big clump of, of poplar trees, you know, there's a blue spruce growing. Why is that? And we would try to figure that out. And then we'd go look at these diamond willows. And then we'd, he'd teach me to walk on fallen logs across the creek. And then we'd go and walk this way. And he says, hey, go over there and go check out that beaver, you know, that beaver hut. Um, and we'd look at that beaver house. And before you know it, I see a family of beavers swimming. And you get to see all of that. And, you know, you see a porcupine up on a tree. You see a coyote um, you know, on the top of the hill, you see mule deer bouncing at the bottom of the creek. Um, you have frogs in the spring. You're cutting pussy willows down in the spring and you're giving them, you know, to Mima and my mom and and you're picking wildflowers. And I did that every single day, every day. I would go to school, which I didn't enjoy, but I'd come home and I'd get to go and walk the trails or go on a quad ride with grandpa. We, you know, climb magpie nests. We'd shoot gophers. We would, you know, sit up on the side hill and we'd have, you know, a cow that would die. And so he'd drag out that cow and he, you know, let the coyotes come and we, you know, hammer, you know, four or five coyotes. Like it just, it was memories like that, that I'll never forget. And we had so many great lessons in life because I got to live a life in nature. We got to see how, how incredible nature is, how cruel nature is. And my love for the outdoors started there. And then every winter, you know, once we're not doing as many trail rides, because, you know, we had snowmobiles, but, you know, we didn't do a lot of that. We would ice fish every local lake and we would ice fish for perch every day after school. And in the wintertime, as you guys know, it gets dark at like five o'clock. But grandpa would pick me up at 315 and we'd be on on the ice at a local lake by four. We'd have an hour to catch a limit of perch and we'd do our very best. And we'd come home, we'd clean them and we'd eat them. And that was a Tuesday. And then we'd do it again on Wednesday. Like I loved that stuff. So my grandpa bear, grandpa Ron Wenjanowski, um, he's the one who, who gets the credit for my true love for the outdoors. Yeah, that's 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 
I don't know. It's it just like brings back a bunch of memories of my own childhood and probably Tristan as, as, as well. But like you know, you grow up outside, um, not really realizing what you're doing until you get a little bit older, and you're like, oh, that's why we're out here. That's why you know what I mean. Like I like for instance, I'll tell you a story about Orv is that he would never let me rifle hunt with him, and I was like never understood why, but he let me archery hunt. And I was just like, why? And then, like, now that I get older, I realize, like, he wanted me to learn how to hunt properly and take one shot and make the good shot, you know, and all these things. To when I got to be 18, I went and bought my own rifle and was like, screw you, Orv, I'm going to go rifle hunting, you know. But he was, like, trying to, you know, serve a purpose and of the outdoors and the respect of uh, making that perfect shot, right? But then you don't well, realize I, I, it until you get older. Yeah. And the older generation usually has a method to – well, the saying is method to the madness, but, but a true method and a, a reason behind it all. And as a teenager, I would, I would buck the system and I'd fight and complain and, and, you know, do what teenagers do and be, you know, a bit of a, bit of a prick at times. But now I'm like thinking about these lessons and I'm so grateful that I did learn them. And I look back on those memories with so much fondness. And as now, it now I'm, you know, a country artist and I'm traveling all around the world and playing these, these songs and playing these great shows, I can draw on these experiences and write songs about them or write portions of these songs and draw on those authentic experiences. And in this case, you know, with the West album of my compass project that came out, you know, just, uh, just last week, I can make an entire record that talks about these, these themes and these important things, you know? Um, so it's, it's a, it's really, really special to be in a spot right now even though I'm only 33, but to be in a spot to, to reflect back on uh, these memories with a lot of fondness. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned that record, like the West of your compass. Can you just give me like the Coles notes on what that's all about quick? Because I, yeah, I, I think Coles, I know what it is, but I, there's probably people that are like, what are you talking about? So the compass project is a four part um, uh, series that I created. It's four albums that were all out in the year 2023 north east south and west so the needle of the compass pointed south to nashville so that is your new country record as we pointed the compass east uh that is a singer songwriter record an entire record that i made that is very um ed sheeran meets uh you know all these great singer songwriters from the east coast like it's it's love songs and songs about life on the east record the west album that just came out is true country and western so western swing traditional country songs about the land uh, songs about oil and cattle like it's 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 a western record then the north record the final one that'll come out in december is my greatest hits album so that is my north star and it's live versions of my songs like anthem and we were that song started with a song three two one drink about me make a life not a living all live from different cities so it could be live from winnipeg and then the next song is live from halifax the next song is live from the yukon so it's really really cool that that's how i made my greatest hits record um it's all live versions. So that is the Compass Project. That's really interesting. Brad, I'm wondering if you could comment just a little bit on the the live music side of things here, because I don't need you to like analyze my own psychology, but I found myself like leaning more towards the um, live recordings lately. I don't know if it's just because it feels like there's there's more personality in them or something like that, but like, uh, or if I've just listened to the radio long enough, but it, like I feel like for whatever reason there's there's been a like 
I don't want to call it resurgence, but people are like now tapping into live music a, a little bit more keenly. Is that something you're seeing on your end or like what's, what's the, what's the thinking around that? I'm, I'm seeing it a, a little bit more. I've loved live, live records um, from, you know, the very beginning of my career, Buck Owens live at Carnegie hall, George Strait for the last time at the Astrodome in Houston. Um, live albums are really, really special because you can hear the crowd. You can hear, how these hits are making 20,000 people feel or how these hits are making 2,500 people feel. Um, that's a really, really special thing. And the live show is the most important part of my career. So that's why I wanted to do a live record. And I have this thought in theory that in a world where artificial intelligence, AI is creating sounds and they're creating songs and, and creating voiceovers and stuff like that, it's a very scary thing. However, that's, that's cool do it. You can't replicate a live show. AI will never be able to do what Garth Brooks does. Garth Brooks has the psychology. He has that innate ability, something pumping through his veins that can rally 50,000 people at Mosaic Stadium in Regina, Saskatchewan in, in the way that nobody else could ever do it. So live music is one of the last things that just can't be can't be replicated. It's not computer generated. It's not AI. Live music is authentic. It's real and it's truth. It's honesty. And that's why I love it so much. I just got like this invasive thought of like a robot Garth Brooks performing like country music and like being slung from the, the roof. I was like, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. But, uh, maybe maybe that's like a doomsday kind of scenario. Yeah. I, uh, I wouldn't go pay money for that show. <laughs> Hey, Brett, um, you referenced Garth Brooks a few times, but you guys have a relationship that probably, I don't know, a lot of people know about it, but he's like, you um, sung not with him, but like, uh, oh man, I can't even think of words right now. Um, you like, like I, I've op yeah, open for him. Yeah. Oh, you open for him. That's open, such an easy word, right? How did that all start? Like, how did that connection start? Um, well, uh, through a good friend of mine, Brett Wilson, actually, um, Garth was doing. Uh, an event in Regina and Saskatoon, two shows, one day private, just a private event. They were raising um, money for the Saskatchewan Children's Hospital. And Garth Brooks said, listen, I will come and sing and I will sell only 200 tickets at $5,000 a ticket. And a million dollars will be raised in Saskatoon for a luncheon. And then a million dollars will be raised again, 200 people, $5,000 a ticket in Regina and Garth will sing a couple songs. And Brett Wilson, my a very good friend of mine, a wonderful philanthropist uh, from Calgary, um, he also donated a million dollars to the Saskatchewan Children's Hospital. And as I was doing a lot of events for Brett, and he and I have this incredible friendship, he said, look, I'm going to do a million dollars, but I want my you know, young, young guy, Brett Kissel, to sing a couple songs as well. Well, Garth Brooks and his team were all too happy. They're like, absolutely. There's a million dollars to the charity. So I sang a few songs and Garth at that event in Saskatoon. Um, he's like, man, he says, that's right. You're, you're the kid managed by Bob Doyle. And I said, yeah, Bob is my manager because Bob managed Garth for 30 years. He says, I heard about you. He says, well, he says, you did a great job. He says, uh, don't tell anybody this, but um, we're going to announce our world tour and March of next year, we're coming to Hamilton. And if you want to open for me there, um, you know, we'll see how many shows we do. But uh, 
And he says, here, let me take your number down. And he arranged it with Bob. And it's like, holy shit, I got, like, I called my wife. I'm like, I just met Garth and he just asked me to open for him. Like, it, it was that quick. And so I was only going to do two shows with him in Hamilton. I ended up doing all six. Then he did Winnipeg. I did all those. Then he did Calgary. So I did seven in Calgary. Then I did Edmonton. I did nine in Edmonton. Then he did Saskatoon and Ottawa. And I opened for him in Regina. Like it was, it was, it was unbelievable. It was the start of an extraordinary friendship and each show was better than the next. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how it all got started. Do you learn a thing or two opening for a guy like Garth, I'd imagine, or like, do you get the like peek into the brain at all there? Oh, dude, you, we don't have near enough time in, in, in 10 podcasts. It, it would be, it would be like spending, it would be like, I'm, I'm a young boxer. Okay. And Muhammad Ali has taken me under his wing and is going to teach me how to be fast. He's going to teach me how to think. He's going to teach me how to work out. He's going to teach me how to throw punches, jabs, right hooks, uppercuts. Then he's going to teach me how to speak in interviews. Then Muhammad Ali is going to teach me, you know, how to be, um, you know, a, a important ambassador for the sport or how to become a better human being. Just imagine what that would do to a young boxer. Or let's talk in hockey terms. I'm a young player, first, you know, first NHL league, and I get to be put on a line and with Wayne Gretzky. And I get to be Wayne's roommate. And Wayne has invited me in to live with him in his basement, and I get to live there. So I get to eat, sleep, and breathe the same way Wayne Gretzky does. And he teaches me about how to be a better passer, how to shoot the puck better, how to be a better team leader, how to become a captain, how to do things in the community. Just imagine what that would do for a young first-time NHLer. That's exactly what it was like getting to do 25 concerts with Garth Brooks, getting to watch him play, getting to spend time with him, getting to eat and catering, having him come into your dressing room every single day and teach you lessons and ask you about your career and see where your mind is at and you know, what are, what are your goals in life? Tell me about your family. You know, what, where are your priorities? Like, you know, this is how I do my merch. This is how I pay my band. This is how I rent the arena. This is my bottom line. This is how I do the business. This is how I do the marketing. This is how I do like, it was, it was overload, but I, I did a, I did a masterclass and I got to do that every single day. Thanks to Garth Brooks. So you're like, I imagine you'd learn a thing or two, eh? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, 100% I did, Tristan. Absolutely. He sounds like he's a rather ge generous guy. Like, I I can't imagine everyone is that generous with their time if they're touring with people and, and uh, maybe even down to earth and being forthright with sharing all the as openly as he had there. Yeah, Garth, Garth Brooks is a unicorn. He really is. There's nobody like him. It, it almost doesn't seem like real life. Um, Another guy who's equally as nice as Brad Paisley, and I've been very lucky. You know, I've done probably 30, 40 shows with Brad, um, who's equally as nice, and we formed a, a really great friendship too. But then I've opened for countless other people as, as I've come up through the ranks, and I would have thought that, you know, that, you know we're, we're the same. We're aligned. We, we love hunting and fishing. Or you've got a bunch of kids. I've got a bunch of kids, you know, and you know this guy, and I know this guy, and then you don't even get a chance to meet him. You do 12 concerts in a row or you do an entire tour across Canada and they don't even say hi. Like they don't. Like it's a transaction. I'm there to do my job. He or she is there to do their job and you never cross paths. They don't even say on the stage. And thanks, you know, to our opener, Canada's own Brett Kessel, give him a warm round of applause. Sometimes that doesn't even happen, no matter how good of a job I do. 
um, or how much I'm, I just stay out of their way or how I try to create a scenario where we can form a connection. So it's not very common. Um, it's so uncommon to have a beautiful relationship. And it's interesting that Garth Brooks is arguably one of the biggest stars to ever walk the face of the planet, not just in country music, I'm talking in all music. And yet everyone you'll ever talk to says he's actually the nicest. Go figure. Mm, yeah. There's something there. Yeah. Since we're still talking about music, I got to ask two, <laughs> two questions. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to help me out with this one, though, Brett, because I don't know the word for it. But, like, what is it called when you go to a location to play your concert and you're like, hey, man, I want this stuff in my dressing room? Oh, that's called a, a rider. That's your hospitality rider. Hospitality rider. So is there, like, something that was, like, you've seen on a rider, hospitality rider, that's just, like, crazy or whatever? You don't have to name names or anything, but just something that was, like, oh, wow, they have all green M&Ms. Yeah, you know, a lot of those stories were from the 80s and the 90s. Um, you know, and it's it's really, it's 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 the divas. It's either the big rock bands or it's Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston. Uh, Jennifer Lopez, I heard for years, needed a white dressing room. I'm talking like white coffee table, white carpet, white leather couches, white curtains, white, 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 white. But one of the coolest ones that I heard was we had just come into the arena after Michael Buble was there the night before. And I asked specifically the question to the person doing our hospitality, which is very modest. And I'll, you know, regardless as to why I, I want it to be modest, ours is just, I think, very modest. And I said, what, what's on his? And they said, oh, uh, just a couple bottles of red wine, you know, some expensive red wine or whatever, but just a couple bottles and uh, a ping pong table. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he just played ping pong all day. All day. He played with the janitor. He played with the security guy. He played with his tour manager. He played with a couple band members. He played with his family. He played with his, his, you know, his brother who was on the road, like whatever. He just played ping pong all day. So he just needed like an official Olympic style ping pong table, not some piece of shit ping pong table from the back room, but he <laughs> wanted a real ping pong table. Yeah. Doesn't want the janitor's ping pong table. We need a brand new one. What what do you have in your like? What's on yours? Like just deuce vodka and some whiskey or anything? Yeah, crazy just just uh, no, just drinks for hospitality. Um, and and that's it. We've we've really pared it back because one of the things, hence uh, this is a Garth story. But when we go into theaters or arenas or any venue, instead of having them hire us, if we know that we are strong in that market and can sell a lot of tickets, I'll book the venue myself. I'll rent it myself. So because right. of that, why would I spend $1,500 in a Sobeys bill for chips and veggie trays and all that kind of stuff when my band and my crew, for example, if we're in Winnipeg, we know where we want to go eat or we know what we want to go do in Saskatoon. We know what we want to go do in Regina. So I have the stuff that's going to make everybody comfortable, you know, a few snacks and of course, you know, all the water you can drink. But other than that, if, if I save $1,500 or $2,000, on a 40 show tour, that's $80,000 in savings that could have been wasted. Well, who did I learn that lesson from? You know? So yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things. And, and, and in our business, it's not necessarily about how much money you make, it's about how much money you keep. So yeah, like my rider is not extravagant um, whatsoever. You know, it's, uh, and, and I'm proud of that because there's a lot of my peers and a lot of my buddies in the business. 
it's it's definitely getting to green M&M territory, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's great. Um, and then my my second question I wanted to ask you too, like you, you've been on the road, you've you've traveled a lot, you've you've done things, whatever. But was there somebody that you come across on your travels that you know enjoyed the hunting and fishing? You actually got to go out in a boat and go fishing with them, or you know go for a drive in the outdoors and just go scouting for deer, or anything crazy like that. You know, I, I, I wish that I had a few, few more of those moments, you know, in terms of like, you'll call it, you know, famous people or celebrities and stuff like that. Um, I've definitely been able to golf with a lot of people because it seems like they'll definitely make time for golf because you know what results you're going to get. As opposed to if you go fishing, you hope to catch, but you don't know if you can. And there's a lot that entails, you know, obviously getting in a boat and getting to a lake and there's no good lakes close to a big city for the most part. Um, uh, I've talked a lot with Brad Paisley about fishing. He's, he, he just loves fishing. And I send pictures back and forth with, uh, you know, artist named Hardy, um, about big oh, deer yeah. and stuff like that. Um, when I was with, uh, I opened for Morgan Wallen in, uh, in New Brunswick here in, in August. And, um, one of the first things he said to me is he says, Hey, show me, uh, says, uh, show me that big deer you, you showed Hardy. And, uh, so I'm like, Oh, cool. I didn't know, like Hardy must've talked about it. So I showed him actually that big deer behind me. Um, oh, yeah. so yeah, there's, so there's, uh, yeah, there's that, uh, Brantley Gilbert. I had hooked him up with, uh, Buck Paradise Outfitters. We were texting back and forth and he had two days off. So I hooked him up with a bear hunt up there in Paradise Hill, Saskatchewan. So that was really cool. It was great to, great to get a text with him, you know, doing the rock star pose over a, you know, 390 pound black bear. So that was pretty awesome. Nice. I uh, I asked the same question. To, we had Jordan Tutu on a couple of years ago, and he he was like, "Yeah, he's like uh, Pavel Datsuk." When I was in Detroit, we'd go to down to Cabela's or Bass Pro, and we'd just go and look at fishing lures together. And I'm like, "Man, that's so cool!" Like you'd never know Datsuk was like a f- hardcore fisherman or an angler, right? So those questions are always fun to ask. Um, when it comes to the the outdoors part of the thing too, and I know this is probably a softball question for you, but like, how much? of the outdoors like inspires you to write songs or, or, you know, sing songs about the outdoors or like, like I referenced earlier that, uh, that deer. Yeah. I mean, deer can, I, song. can I reframe that one Sheldon? Just a, yeah. A Cause I, I had a similar question and like, to me, it, it speaks, it's part of it speaks to you. Like I've noticed some singers, maybe, maybe this is my own take on it, but some singers will, I know they hunt in their personal lives, but they don't, sing about that kind of stuff in their music and stuff like that like it steers away from it somewhat but you seem to like really turn into it in some ways can you say like kind of what that connection means to you and how it connects to your work so so richly well the the connection has grown over the past probably four or five years i've always loved being in the outdoors but i've really prioritized that i've prioritized this word too joy like joy in my life and what really brings me joy and I love my family. I love my kids. I love my wife. That is in a separate category of joy that will never be touched. You can't replicate that. You can't beat that. But then over here, it's, you know, being on stage, it's watching hockey games. It's playing crib. I love, I'm addicted to card games. I just love playing cards day and night. And I love being outside. I love fishing and I love hunting. So that is who I am. So I can be unapologetic about that. And I can really support that. And I think be deep rooted in integrity. And if anybody, you know, is, is a lot of artists don't do that because they don't, whether they love it or, or even though they love it, they won't post about it. They won't talk about it. They won't sing about it because they don't want the backlash. And to me, 
I welcome the conversation and it's something I'm proud of. I could care less what anybody thinks because I know the true meaning of hunting. I know what it's like to be in the outdoors. I know that I would say a good 90 to 95% of people who are upset about me hunting are very hypocritical because they don't know where their food comes from. They still wear a leather jacket. They still, you know, are, are not doing right by the environment in which they're preaching to try to save. So I can stand firm and, and stand up for my own self in that way. Now that went into a, a different uh, category of explanation. When we were talking about inspiration, it's only been in the last four or five years where I've really gotten inspiration from the outdoors because of the stillness, because of just being out there and enjoying it, um, having the opportunity to think while I'm out there. And most importantly, you know what? I never, it's a part of the genre, a part of my life I've never spoken about yet. So I had all these ideas and themes just sitting and waiting and, and ready to be written. So I finally got a chance to, to do that, you know, when it came to, to the West album. That's so cool. Um, and then thinking about like, we've talked about it a little already, but, and I've heard it reflected in the deer blind song. And we've mentioned just like this notion of passing down tradition and I've always heard people kind of chat and be like, oh, we got to pass down the tradition or it's important to to teach the kids. And I'll be honest, I never really got it. Like I got, don't get me wrong. I love it. I love being a part of it. I grew up in it and that was all fun, but I never really got it until I had kids myself. And then now I have not just this like fuzzy feeling of we need to pass down the tradition, but there's almost a bit of like obligation there, like, Oh shit, this stuff's important. Like there's lessons out there that they're not going to learn in the classroom. There's um, there's lessons about ethics. There's lessons about the natural world that I'm still learning to this day to some extent. Um, But this is stuff that I need to be actively in my family's life with, not just, not just kind of like holding on to some vague notion of passing down tradition. Like, does that, kind of resonate with you are you do you f- feel connected because f- to me it seems like family is like a huge part of what what's going on for you so like is is that like a, a crossover point in some ways it it certainly is a crossover point for sure i feel deeply connected to passing on tradition the word tradition is very important to me um i know that you use the word obligation and obligation means that to me it means you you don't necessarily want to but you have to Whereas I believe it's a wonderful responsibility and it's mm. a, it's, it's really good to have the responsibility of carrying on tradition and showing this way of life, especially as the sport. And I don't know this, the true statistics of it. I could be, you know, talking out of my ass here, but you know, I believe there's less hunters now as cities are getting bigger and farming and the rural way of life is getting to be smaller and lesser. You know what? there's there's going to be fewer of us that are going to be able to do this and talk about this and and have this skill set of being in the outdoors and being able to take a life but do so in a in a really really special way a way with integrity a way with honor and respect and also teach those lessons to the next generation and somewhere along the line i hope it never happens you can lose tradition you can lose this way in a, in a way um, that is somewhat similar, there's a lot of recipes in heritage that get forgotten about because people aren't 
cooking at home as much as they used to. So the things that my Baba used to do and the ability she had to can and to cook and to, you know, make a quilt and, and make all of this stuff. Well, as time goes on, those generations lose it. So I'm hanging on for dear life. Some of these great lessons that I learned from my grandpa and my uncle Derek is very, very important in my life, teaching me a lot of great things about uh, hunting and fishing. So I'm really, really hoping that that tradition stays alive. It is a cross point and it's very important. Awesome, Brett. That's yeah, that's amazing. One of the traditions too, we like to, we always circle back to for some reason seems to be storytelling and it just seems so integral to the hunting experience. But I'm wondering that we've been staring at that beauty buck behind you there for half of the podcast. Like what's this, is that, that's your personal best back there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful buck. And you know, this old warrior does, does come with a, with a story. Um, I will touch and, and agree with you that often it's the memories made at camp. It's the memories made with the boys. It's the memories made with your daughters. It's the memories made with your sons when you're out um, in the wilderness or you're fishing together and people every now and then have a song about it, Trace Atkins. And she thinks we're just fishing, you know, no, it's about making memories. One of the great lyrics I had in my song, Dear Blind, that I'm so proud of. It goes, one day I hope he'll look back on the time we had together. Because hunting season don't last long, but memories last forever. And that's that's it. That that is that's the line. That's what we all feel in the outdoors. And a memory with this big buck, because I was sitting with Grant Kuipers, who's um, you know, the guide and, and outfitter and owner operator of Buck Paradise. He's he's, you know, like a father figure to me and also checks off the box of a best buddy and and your favorite uncle like he's just such a great guy and he and i were sitting in uh in a in a different blind and um you know i'm watching this small five by five small like i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna shoot him he's uh he's just kind of coming up into the area and grant says get your scope in the willows behind him there's something else there's something else just as i say that this deer's ears perk up and a wolf comes out and it jumps up over the brush pile and chases this deer towards us. So we got about a 90 yard shot chases this deer towards us kind of, you know, at a diagonal across a frozen slough and out of nowhere, five other wolves come out of the fricking wilderness and they come and they take down this deer. What felt like 50 yards behind our blind, not even. So you hear the crunching of the bones and you hear this National Geographic shit going on and you hear the yipping. It was like coyotes, you know, but they're the yipping of it. And the deer is, you know, like, like the deer's losing its life. It's bellering, bah, bah. like it's just like it's carnage. And the wolves are taking down this buck right behind us. And we can't believe what we just saw. One of the black wolves stood on this, on this, the center of this frozen slough and he looked right at us and he had these piercing neon green eyes pure black and he looked into my goddamn soul <laughs> swear to god and then he buggered off and went for his meal so we got the hell out of there there's no deer gonna come back here you know it's at like three in the afternoon so we got on the radio we told hey there's wolves around be careful da 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 da, da. we got on our our side by side and we drove back home to camp so grant is like well what do we do now you know I've got this TV show. We really want to get a deer. I've got one more day in camp. I only have three days left. I got to fly to Nashville the very next day. And we're like, so what do we do? What do we do? And Grant's like, well, let's go to the most Northern bait. 
Um, we've had a lot of activity there. There's no shooters there. Um, but at least, you know what, we can film a good episode. And the premise of the episode will be don't harvest something that you don't want. You know what? I already got a meat buck. There's no sense killing just to kill. That was the premise of the episode. Now we had to change the episode. Our show is called backwards backstage. So we're going to change the premise of the episode to seeing all of these great deer, but it's, res it's, it's respectful to pass. You know, if it's not your target deer, don't just shoot one, you know? So yep. that was it. So we're sitting in the blind. We just get settled in or whatever. It's about nine in the morning. Sun is up and this big buck comes and I said, Grant, that's, that's our shooter. And he says, and, and this guy is so much bigger on one side than, than the other side. So that the side that was closest to us with this was the smaller side, but I had just seen this G2, which is, you know, 14 and a half inches long. And I'm like, this is a big buck. He's like, well, if you feel good, take him. So I did took a deep breath, shot him. And it was Grant who was the most excited when we came upon the deer. We waited a few minutes and Grant's like, oh my gosh, that's that old warrior. We haven't seen him on camera since 2019 and it's high five. And we bring him back into camp and everybody's excited. And it was everybody else's excitement that got us there. And so on camera, we got a massive buck when it was really just uh, an episode that was essentially destroyed by wolves, you know? So that's the story of that guy. Wow. That's cool. That's really cool. I got to have a little quick follow-up question just for fun. I'm leaving to deer camp Friday. I think Tristan's leaving for on Sunday and we were just talking about tradition, but after you do harvest an animal, do you guys have any sort of tradition at either deer camp or with your family? No, we, we, we never, we never did other than, you know, the, the celebration that ensues, you know, uh, once you're, once you're scanning and, and the beers are flowing and stuff like that, that's it. There's a lot of guys I've seen on, you know, the, the Netflix shows or whatever. Um, can't remember the guy who puts uh, you know, the last meal in puts a little bit of hay or grass in the deer or the, or the oh, elk's mouth. Um, well, who um, was that? It's, I think it's, was? I think it's the meat eater. I think it's that guy. Um, oh, yeah, I don't know. You know, or it's, or some people will do a prayer, which is cool. You know, that's, that's all cool. And, um, you know, some people will, you know, for the first kill, I saw this on Instagram where this young daughter got, got her first buck and the dad took some of the blood and went dick, dick like that. You know, that's, that's all cool. We just never did it. We right. just, you know, never, never did anything with the blood, never did anything with the heart. I'm extremely grateful. That's for sure. But uh, no, I think the only tradition would be my uncle Derek's tradition. It's uh, you, 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 you break open a, a, a case of, uh, of bush light or Coors light or yeah, whatever's, a shot on of whiskey when, whatever's on sale. You have a shot of whiskey. <laughs> the minute you get to uh, the minute you get back to camp and you start skinning, you know, yeah. uh, you know, what? I, I hold it. I do have a tradition and not after harvesting an animal, but I, there've been many, many a time where I've stayed up all night, like, you, like all night playing cards. I would, I'll, I'll just, I'll play crib until five in the morning and then it's time for breakfast at five 30. So I have a shower <laughs> and then, you go out and shoot a big deer, you know. I I didn't come here to sleep. I came here to win money in crib or poker <laughs> and uh, shoot big deer. Oh, that's great. I and I was, you know, we have a similar tradition in our camp, and it's a a shot of scotch. Like once you get a a good mature buck on the ground, you usually open up that good bottle of scotch and I'll have a quick shot before skinning. So that's pretty cool. And I know Tristan yeah. has some wine and. Mm -hmm. elk and traditionally you got a bunch of you and your brother there so yeah i normally 
Well, we used to adhere strictly to the the um, shot of whiskey tradition, and then we also started to include a. I buy a bottle of wine each camp for like a harvest meal, and so if we if we get one, then we crack that bottle of wine. If we don't get one that camp, like a, a few of the elk camps, are had a bottle of wine that sat for about three years before, <laughs> <laughs> before we got to crack it. But it you know it did follow us out to every one of those camps, so yeah. um, something to be said there. Yeah. Yeah, I I I really like that uh, that tradition. There is one um, uh, superstitious thing that I have, and I've got this hat, this old hat. Uh, my buddy Troy Huntley's one of my best friends, and his company's called Backwoods Resources. It's a chemical spraying company and vegetation management company in Edson, Alberta. And I wore this hat, um, and it got all muddy because I was almost almost killed by a wild boar, um, you know, a few years ago, and. I took this old 33-30 gun and shot a boar and thought he was dead. And I went up to him. I should have put three more bullets in him. I should have. I just, I just thought he was dead on the ground. But he came up, he charged after me, and I ran like hell and da-da-da-da-da. Anyways, my hat, I thought I lost my hat. It was my favorite freaking hat. Well, I walked back in and uh the boar shot, everything's good. I'm 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 okay. But uh I go and I find this hat in the mud, and it was a white and gray hat, ball cap. And I've taken that to every hunting camp and every fishing camp I've ever had, you know, cause I'm like, well, shit, you know, it's, I, I'm still around, you know, it's, and th- th- I, I was, I, I was close to, to getting knocked down and probably killed by this boar, you know, still hate pigs to this day. Can you imagine that <laughs> on the front front page of the Edmonton journal or the no Toronto kidding. star country singer, Brett Kessel killed by a boar, you yeah. know, like. Couldn't have been a grizzly bear or a wolf or. Something yeah, nothing cool. cool. Yeah, no, it was friggin' a, a, a boar in a high fence hunt. We were just doing like a cooking episode with some buddies. We we're gonna go shoot some wild meat, and he's like, pick pick one with big tusks. So <laughs> you know it'll make a good euro amount. So I shot them and oh, they're the most nasty things. I there's no I I only hate two animals in the world. I hate snow geese because they're so freaking hard to kill and <laughs> they just are up there and there's millions of them and they taunt you. And so I hate snow geese and I hate wild boars, wild pigs. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Um, Brett, I'm not, I don't think we should take up too much more of your time. I mean, we're running here close to an hour and I know we didn't even get to touch on like the TV show. We didn't t- touch on the whiskey. We didn't get to touch on a lot of things. So I'm going to open the invite out to, uh, if you ever get bored and want to have a beer and chat for another hour, um, just let us know and we'll, we'll book you in here. Um, I'd, I'd love to do that. I would love to uh, maybe see if we can have, um, you know, a conversation with a few of the co-hosts, you know, maybe my uncle Derek and my cousin mm-hmm. Matthew and, and Jordan Walsh, our producer and one of my best buds. Um, uh, he, you know, he's had a show on sportsman for a long time called rifleman. And um, I, I would love to, maybe the four of us, we can, you know, it, it would, it would be nonstop laughs. That's the thing. If you get my <laughs> uncle on a, on a zoom call, it'd be a lot of fun. And, and we would just make fun of each other the whole time. So me here, I'm telling these stories. I'm all nice and serious. And we're having a really good philosophical conversation. If we do, you know, episode 2.0 with the yeah. backwards backstage crew, uh, get your, um, uh, get your editing crew ready to beep out a lot of swears. <laughs> and uh, we're going to tell a lot of stories of uh, some pretty funny moments out there, out there in the, in the, in the woods. That's awesome. We'll get well. We'll get our people. I'll talk to your people and see if we can make that happen. I guess. And by 
our people Absolutely. that's me or Tristan. So you're talking to them. Um, but yeah, Tristan, if What's... you have any final thoughts there, then we'll hand it over to Brett for his finals. Oh yeah, I was just checking a calendar and noticed that uh February third falls on a Saturday and there should be some good ice on Lake Winnipeg by then. So if uh you're not doing too much that day there, Brett, uh you know the the walleye may or may not bite, it's hard to say, but um there there'll be ice for sure. Well, I uh I was there late late uh late January last year and I went out to Lake Winnipeg with uh Donovan and Blackwater Cats who yeah. took us out there and um it was phenomenal. The first day we caught so many walleye. It was, I've never had a nice fishing day like that in my life. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, it was a harvest. It was unbelievable. And then uh, the next day we were, we were after, you know, big 10 pound, you know, uh, walleye and stuff like that. My uncle Derek got, got a nice big one. I, I didn't, it was a slower day, a lot colder. Um, But yeah, if I've got time, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll probably find me on, on the ice and I'd like to invite you guys there too. Let's uh, let's go have some fun. Have some fun That'd on the ice. Great. Awesome, uh, Sheldon. Anything on your end there? No, like I, I, my, I guess my final thoughts for you today, Brett, would just be like, uh, just thanks for taking the time. And to be honest with you, even though Orv recommended it, you know, I actually had a pop up on my Facebook from um from a Halloween like in 2014 when you pulled your bus over in Eli and you got to go trick or treating with your or I don't know exactly how it went and I shared this story and it's just like the things that you do for for not only you know the country music the outdoor industry for Canada and all the, like our small towns small businesses like our podcast isn't huge but for you to take time to to come on it and uh, and and talk with us is just it means the world to me so I just want to say thank you like personally and on behalf of Panoramic Outdoors as well. Well, thanks, no, Shelly. I, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's an honor to get a chance to speak uh, on this topic. All the other interviews I've done in this media blitz today, and you know, I've all been real music focused. And the same question after the same question, same question. And I, I just want to talk about hunting and fishing and hockey, and <laughs> and that's all I want to do. And I got to do that yeah. for an hour, so I, I'm I'm really grateful for that. And um, uh, we just announced a show. I don't know how far Killarney is from you um, in Brandon there, but we're going to play that festival there. I'm also, it would be really important to mention, um, you know, in terms of the outdoors, I uh, I did a partnership with a spokesperson role for, uh, you know, tourism and small town living with Minnedosa, Manitoba. Yeah, I just see so, that. Uh, I'm That's really, really proud of that connection. <laughs> Oh yeah, so Shelbyville to you guys, like you well, know, like competition I, or what? I grew, yeah, I grew up in Nepal, which is like 15 minutes away from Minnedosa. So we always had like the hockey feud, the baseball feud, and then we always said that Shelbyville, and they always probably say the same thing to us, right? But yeah, we have a yeah. close connection with Minnedosa, that great little town there. Well, I uh, I would love for you guys to come out and and see a show, and any of my friends in the hunting and fishing world. Uh, yeah, you guys just come on out and bring your friends or bring your family. We'd love to take care of you. And uh, yeah, so thank you for this. Once once you stop recording, I'll I'll give you guys my my cell and I'll take your cell too if you don't mind, and we'll sure. um and we can stay in touch. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and I guess like the, I guess the last thing too. So do you want to just? I know you kind of mentioned like the Clarny and the and the show in Winnipeg, but like what else you got going on? I mean, obviously your album you released. Uh, you got a TV show. Just sell it to us right now. Absolutely. Well, Shameless ladies plug. and gentlemen, do I have a deal for you? No, I, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the spirits world that I'm in. So, you know, I, I, uh, I own several different brands across Canada. Uh, Deuce Vodka is our premium vodka brand that we make in Alberta. Um, 
you know, there's also backcountry vodka and backcountry whiskey that we uh, have available in the province of Alberta. We just uh, invested and bought into a beautiful brewery in Nanaimo, BC. I'm really, really excited about that. We'll be making whiskey and vodka out there. And yeah, we launched uh, also an economy vodka, a beautiful vodka in Nova Scotia called High Seas Vodka. So yeah, we got a, we got a lot on the go. So the spirits world, my goal is to have um, a local product uh, in, in every single province. So there might be some listeners that you've got that, you know, have a distillery license and may, might want to partner with me. You know, you never know as a spokesperson mm-hmm. and a guy who loves that, uh, that business. Um, and we figured out, you know, a really good recipe and a really good way to do it. So yeah, that's a wonderful business uh, side of things. And I just hope people will follow along, you know, follow me on Instagram and, and follow me on Spotify and listen to my music on Apple music. And, if you like it, I would hope that you'd share it. You know, that's what I would tell your listeners and your fans of your podcast. That if you like this podcast, send it to your friends. If they're sitting in a deer blind or they got a two-hour drive to get to, you know, a lake. Well, I, I, I hope if you're listening, you'll send it to a friend uh, who loves the outdoors and wants to hear some, uh, you know, backstage uh, stories, you know, from uh, some of the great lessons I've learned from some of my heroes. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And if you're ever looking to, like, uh, sponsor a podcast with free whiskey... <laughs> Well, let me tell you, I know a guy. You know a guy, eh? Perfect. Yeah. Well, I, it say say no more. Once once we launch in Manitoba, actually prior to, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a bunch that I can I can uh, I can send to you guys. Uh, and again, yeah, I, I think I'm really proud of it. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Right on. Well, appreciate you. Like again, appreciate your time. We're gonna cut it short here, but uh, you take care of yourself and uh, be be safe out there in the woods and on the frozen lake this winter. Well, thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks, Shelly, and thanks, Tristan, and. Good luck when you guys go up to camp, and uh, hopefully uh, this weekend we'll text each other uh, some pictures of some big deer. Right on. Keep you posted. Thanks, fellas. All right, we just wrapped uh, the episode 165 there with Brett Kissel. Again, thanks to Brett for coming on. Uh, we're going to wish him luck in all his ventures there, um, despite pulling that dirty trick on us at the end of the episode. Um, but uh, we also, just big news, received a live donation for our Movember fund, so yeah, that's when you add in like the cheers and bells and stuff. John, if you can edit that in, that'd be perfect. Just like maybe like some sort of fireworks special effect. Anyways, um, good to know though that uh, that we're gaining momentum already. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I, I will mention, we always try to mention the store at the end of every episode, but we do have most most all our stuff in the stock and again two dollars for every item sold will be donated to the november initiative and um yeah go to our store check it out we got blaze hats uh you might be able to get in time for your maybe your last week of rifle season but we also have those sweaters crew necks tank tops t-shirts hats toques buffs coffee cups you name it we might have it in the store and you can buy that for your you know loved ones for christmas we do appreciate the support and if you can't support us through the store you can support us by sharing this episode, liking us, uh, giving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platforms or sharing our content on any social media. It goes a long way. We appreciate it. That's how we keep growing. And uh, if it wasn't for listeners like you, we'd be probably talking to each other uh, on the phone. So not not over the airs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. We don't see you out in the woods or the waters or at the ice show. I bumped into a few people at the ice show on the weekend. Um, make sure you keep those scopes in line, keep that powder dry. And I, I hope you have an edge on your knife right now because uh, we're heading into prime time. Here we go.